grab your Bible, turn to Nehemiah chapter 4, if you would. We'll finish up chapter 4 this morning. Uh, Last Sunday I said that sometimes the difference between success and failure is well-timed encouragement. We saw that last week uh, in these verses from Nehemiah, right? He's looking around, there's uh, people getting discouraged, and he stands up and he says, don't be afraid. We're talking about that verse again, but I, I, last week I gave you a, some homework, if you remember. Now, I'm not going to ask you if you did the homework, because that could be embarrassing, but I hope that you did. And the homework was this, if you forgot or weren't here, it was just go out of your way to encourage somebody, because you know the effect that that can have in your own life when somebody just kind of randomly loves on you. And so the encouragement was to do that for someone else. So if you forgot last week, guess what? You can do it this week. And if you remembered last week, you can do it this week too, okay? So the Jews here are in Jerusalem, and they're, they're, they're kind of going through this these, these waves. Okay, yeah, let's build the wall. Let's do this. Oh, but wait, maybe we are too feeble. Maybe we aren't going to be able to do it. Okay, remember the Lord. Yeah, okay, so there's this kind of, these waves of emotion going through the camp, and they're, what we left last week was, okay, build the wall. We can do this, and the walls got built halfway up. Okay, so now the walls are halfway, but they're still facing persecution, they're still facing threats. The opportunity in Jerusalem at the time was ripe for discouragement. It would have it wouldn't have taken much. And if you remember the 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 guy, um, I don't think it was Sandblad. It was Tobiah. He said, even if a little fox cr- climbs up the wall, he's going to knock it down, right? It just it would have taken just a a little bit to discourage the people. And so that's why Nehemiah gets up. Look at verse um, chapter four, verse fourteen. He says, "Don't be afraid of them." And here it is. He says, remember the Lord, who's great and awesome. Fight for your brothers, your sisters, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes, these sorts of things. So, that's the motivation. That's the motivation why they could defend themselves, why they could love one another and, and fight for one another. And it's because the Lord is great and awesome. Because He's good. So I'll say it again this week too. This is the same motivation that you and I have today to work hard at what the Lord has given us to do, like they were building the wall. What has God given you to do? Work hard at it. But also this is the same motivation that we have to fight for one another. And before we move on into the text for this week, I I, want to pause there and just kind of explain what I mean by that. to fight. Because obviously I don't mean fight with one another. That's not at all what we're, what we're talking about. We're, I'm saying fight for one another. And we do this because the Lord is great and awesome. Because he is, we can stand firm on the truth and encourage one another and challenge one another and, in fact, fight for one another. So what might this look like, fighting for one another? Well, let me give you some examples just really quickly. It, it might look like just encouraging one another when we know that that person is facing a difficult situation. We're fighting for them. We're, we're in, engaging in the battle with them, besides them, even maybe saying, hey, get behind me. I'll take this one. 
So practically, it could, it could just look like dropping off a meal at somebody's house when they get out of surgery or when they've had a bad week or just because you know that they are running short on time that day or something like that. It might look like, though, pulling a loved brother or sister aside in private and correcting ungodly behavior. That's still love, brothers and sisters, and that's still fighting for them. So fighting for one another is really, it's, it, it boils down to what we're told in Scripture. It's not thinking too highly of ourselves, but instead, in humility, counting others as more significant than ourselves. It, it looks like Jesus' example of servanthood in Philippians chapter 2. You can write this down and read it later. Philippians chapter 2. It looks like Jesus' example there. It looks like Paul's instruction to the church in Ephesians 4 when he tells them to maintain the unity of the Spirit with gentleness and patience. Fighting for one another also looks like 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Remember, that's not describing the love between a husband and a wife, although those things apply there. That's talking about love in the church, love in the body of Christ. And there Paul tells the church that they can do a whole lot of really incredible things But if they don't have love, it amounts to a big fat goose egg. Nothing. He in fact says you are nothing. You've gained nothing if you don't have love. So when Nehemiah says, don't be afraid, remember the Lord, fight for your brothers and sisters. He's leading the people to prayer, to confidence in the Lord, to humility. And really he's leading them to genuine love for one another. That's what I see there is genuine love for one another, fighting for one another. And this is what I'm just saying to you guys today. Pray for your brothers and your sisters in this church, but beyond this church for sure. Have confidence in the Lord. He is great and awesome. We've talked about some evidences of that already today. Practice humility regularly in your lives and in the church and work hard at learning to love one another even better than you do. And this leads us to the last few verses of chapter 4. Let's read them together and then we'll pray. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plans, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that they each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. We are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Verse 21. So we labored at the work. Half of them held, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. And I said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be on guard, may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of, guard, of the guard who followed me 
None of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there's, there's much to, to learn here, to be instructed by, and we sit under the sound of your word joyfully. Uh, that's more than just an emotion for us, though, Lord, because sometimes we hear your word and we don't feel very joyful because you're correcting things in us. You're chipping away at those jaded edges. And so, Lord, we sit under the sound of your word with joy because it's choice, because it's truth. And we thank you for that. We don't want to be lulled into just being passive by people or things or the world that would say, you're doing just fine. Don't worry about it. Lord, we want to be challenged to continue on. We want to spur one another on to love and good works and to discipleship and to being more and more like Jesus. And so work that out in us today through your word. Make it possible in Jesus' name. Amen. The, f- the first thing that happens after the people are stirred up, as we just talked about, to, for love to, for one another, fight for one another, the very first thing that happens is news of it spread to their enemies. I think there's some significance to this. Isn't it interesting how the unity of God's people, the word of that got around, didn't it? The only news that spreads faster in a community than a church Getting along is probably news of a church that isn't getting along, right? And then the news here around to the enemies was that God was doing something here. There's unity in the people. Despite the threats, despite the mockings, despite the setbacks, God was doing something. And the enemies of his people hear that their plan was discovered and even worse, they hear that it didn't negatively impact the progress in Jerusalem really much at all. They were doing the work. It was half done already. Now we're just talking a matter of days here. And this work was being really pushed along. The people weren't just doing the work, but they were actually prepared for the problem along with doing the work. Right? So patting the head and rubbing the belly. I can't do it either. There there we go. They were doing two things at once. They were being prepared. Now look at verse 15. Who frustrated the enemy's plans? You can say it out loud. God. Thank you, Noah. God frustrated their plans. Now, some might argue, well, it was Israel's preparation. It was Nehemiah's leadership. Well, those things played into it. But who really did the work of disturbing their plans and frustrating them? It was God. Nehemiah doesn't point to his own leadership in recording this. He doesn't say, I did a good job. He says, God did the work. And however it was going to play out, Nehemiah reminded the people yet again that it was God who was going to make it happen. God frustrated their plans. God would fight for us, he says. I think this is helpful to remember, even in our own lives, when things may not, maybe you feel like the work is only half done. Maybe you feel like it's not finished and that there's more to to go. Remember, you're not in control of this God is just like he was for the people in Jerusalem and in Nehemiah's day notice that simply just enduring the storm 
for Nehemiah and the people wasn't what they were going for. It wasn't just like, hunker down, we'll get through this, and then we'll start to work when it's over. That wasn't the point. The the point wasn't just to get through it. The point was actually getting back to work. That was the victory here, was doing the work, was getting back to it. There are going to be times when we just hang on for dear life with the circumstances that are around us. Right, and there are times when that can be enough for the moment, but I, I think that the enemy wouldn't mind if we just stayed there sometimes. Right? Okay, we'll just hunker down and just wait till the storm blows blows through, brothers and sisters. There's always another storm, right? You feel it. We feel it. There's always another storm coming. You can't just hunker down and stay there. The enemy would like that. Surely the enemies of Nehemiah and the people of of God in Jerusalem would have just liked for them to just stop work. And just sit and just be on the lookout all the time, waiting and not doing anything else. That's not what happened. And they weren't content to just hang on. Again, there are times when that's what we need to do, but we need to keep going after that. We need to kick it back into gear. That's not what I don't think God would want for his people. It's God who causes us to endure. It's God who causes us to make it through. But our hope and aim as followers of Christ should be to, to keep going, to keep pursuing truth and righteous living and not just making it through, to keep pressing into what God is calling us to do. The people of Jerusalem weren't just satisfied to make it through the night. They wanted to get back to work, and Nehemiah led them in that. Look at verses uh, 16, 17, and 18. This is exactly what they did. Even at the end of verse 15, they returned to their work. They got back to it. But the wall wasn't finished, and it wasn't without more preparation. Verse 16 uh, in chapter 4 seems to indicate that Nehemiah had some some servants that were with him. They'd either come with him from uh, the capital of Persia when he came over to Jerusalem, or maybe they were just helpers from Jerusalem. Either way, we're told that half of them helped with the work on the wall. The other half of them stood guard with weapons at the ready. The leaders in Jerusalem were standing behind the people who were doing the work. The house of Judah is specifically mentioned here. And they were ready to give instruction. And I think they were hanging back behind the laborers, not because they were lazy, but because they were the ones who were standing guard and ready to lead the charge if enemies came against them. If battle, if it came to battle, they were ready to jump in. And I, I appreciate how the Spirit of God led Nehemiah to talk about Judah again. Because if you look back in verse 10, it's not a real positive thing that happened. Jude, it said that like even Judah's strength is failing. Like some of the most bold and strong and biggest, they're even failing. Well, now, who's doing the work? It's Judah. It's the people of God. They're the ones joining in and no longer is their strength failing. No longer are they discouraged by the amount of rubble that's surrounding them. Now they are energized for continuing the work. And I just, when I saw that, I just had to ask, well, what changed between verse 10 and these verses here? What was the difference? Well, I think verse 14 was really what changed them. I think that's what it was. Look at verse 14. I mentioned it already. Nehemiah says, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. Fight. Get ready. Prepare. So remembering 
the great and awesome God was actually the inspiration for their preparation. They were to prepare for battle, the possibility of it, and the inspiration for doing that. Why? Was because God is great and awesome. Because He's good. Because His promises are true. And Nehemiah's well-timed encouragement here reminded them of a foundational biblical truth that God is always watching. He's always fighting for His people. Keeping His promises. And this fueled their enthusiasm in their work. And we see it here. Seven, verse 17 and 18. These, these verses, let me read them together. They say that those who carried the burdens were loaded in such a way that, that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. Each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side while he built. So it sounds like they literally had a sword strapped to their hip while they did the work. So perhaps those who uh, carried the stones for the wall, uh, the, the, the verse describes them as those who carried the burdens, they had a weapon in one hand, and they worked with the other hand. So maybe they worked together as teams and carried big rocks together. You know, in the middle, one hand on their sword, their weapon, and the other one in the middle. Those who were placing the stones, the builders as they're called here, maybe those guys, they needed both the stone, both their hands to do the work, so they had a, a sword strapped to their hip. Either way, both those situations, they were ready, right? They were still doing the work, but they were ready for possibly going into battle. I think there are some things that we can take from this even here and now. Let me point out just a couple of them. Preparation for battle in the Christian life doesn't relieve us from the continued work of building or of discipleship or of pursuing righteousness. Um, let me explain. There, there are always times when we recognize the battle more than others. Right? New Testament especially is clear. There's a battle happening in a realm that we can't see. Sometimes we feel that more than other times. And the people here in Jerusalem needed to prepare for both at all times. Now, today, and it was the same back then too, but the, the battle for the hearts and lives of people is always raging. That battle is ever before us, and we need to continue fighting the good fight of faith while we prepare for battle. We ought to be ready to fight for our brothers and sisters and also be ready to go where God calls us and to do what he calls us to do. We have to be prepared for both of these things. Second thing we can learn from this is that Christians ought to always be prepared for a battle with probably the most powerful weapon you have access to, the word of God, right? Ephesians 6, verse 17 says that the sword of the Spirit, which is really the only dual-purpose weapon in our inventory, the only offensive weapon in our inventory, is the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. So, this, in our, in our work for the Lord, His Word is the most valuable asset we have. I, I can't stress this enough. I can't overemphasize this truth. God's Word explains the, the who, what, when, how, why of the work that call, God calls believers to. It answers those questions. It gives us insight. It gives us life, in fact. So in your battle against sin and the enemy, the Word of God is irreplaceable. You can't substitute 
Bible reading and learning and study with the most popular podcast. Those can be very good and helpful, but they're not a replacement. You can't watch enough Veggie Tales that you've got it all either. It might be close there. There's some good ones. Nothing replaces the Word of God. And we, we tend to want to do that to make things easier, I think. But you can't replace it. It is irreplaceable. Nothing else is breathed out by God himself. Nothing else is profitable or valuable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. The truth is, the kingdom of God is built with both a sword and a trowel. I didn't come up with that. I think that's a Charles Spurgeon thing. A sword and a trowel at the same time. Together, a sword to come against every spiritual force of wickedness and a trial to do the work of building up the people of God and the kingdom of God as he sees fit to allow us to be a part of. And so it takes both. And so remember, the greatest asset that we have in preparing and in going into battle is the word of God itself. Look at verse 19. This explains more of Nehemiah's preparations. It says that the work is great and widely, we are widely spread, separated on the wall from one another. So he says, where you hear the sound of a trumpet, rally to that place. God will fight for us. So as the work on the walls continued and moved towards completion, they would be more and more separated from one another, physically distance-wise separated from one another. And so Nehemiah was concerned. He said, this could be a problem if we're, the walls are being built now. And if you remember at the beginning, we talked about how some of those walls are 10 plus feet high. So now we're five feet in the air. We've got some kind of probably scaffolding. Somehow we're getting these big blocks up there. It's, it's getting more and more difficult to rally together. So he makes a point as a good leader. He says, when you hear the sound of a trumpet, if you hear this sound, Come together where you hear it. Drop what you're doing and come together. And when we do, what's going to happen? God will fight for us. God not only will confuse the plans of the enemy, he will fight for us. God will fight for us. No offense intended by this question, but are you getting it yet? Do you see what Nehemiah is trying to explain to us here? Get ready for battle, prepare, train, work together, but never forget who we fight for. And more importantly, never forget who fights for us. This is what I think we need to get. Our God will fight for us. Nehemiah assured the people. Now, I don't think I'd be a very good pastor or Bible expositor at all if I didn't do for you what Nehemiah did for the people of God. And so here's your encouragement. Here's your inspiration for preparation. I'm just going to recap what Nehemiah has already told the people. Remember the Lord. He's great and awesome. Remember the Lord. Secondly, rally together. Fight for your brothers, for your sisters. But remember, it's the Lord who fights for us. It's the Lord who gains the victory. Look at verse 21, 22, and 23. It says that the people of God labored again. They went back to work. They labored at the work, and they never let their guard down. This is that dual 
thing that we're talking about, patting your head and rubbing your stomach, two things at the same time. They were laboring in the work and they were never letting their guard down. They were prepared. And Nehemiah specifically says, even himself, he was a good leader, remember. Even even him as a leader, he was taking turns, doing uh, what God had told them to do, working during the day and then standing guard at night or vice versa, depending on the shift you were on. But none of them let their guard down. Each one of them had a weapon in one hand and they were working with the other. See, the enemies of God were plotting, right? They were scheming and they still are. We'll find out in the next couple of chapters. They they were still plotting and scheming and trying to use tricks to gain advantage here. They were threatening and they were mocking. We talked about this several weeks ago. The enemies of God do the same thing today. They think that what we believe is foolishness. But as I mentioned last week, Ephesians 6 says, our battle is not against them. Friends, our battle is not against flesh and blood, Paul says in Ephesians 6. He says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4 and 5, he says that the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Jesus doesn't call you to pick up a physical sword in order to follow him. You never see it. In fact, what you see more often is him calling you to lay down your sword, lay down your rights, lay down even your very life to be his disciple. So what does it mean for us to be prepared for battle, but also to recognize that the weapons that we have access to are not weapons of the flesh? What does that mean? Well, I I just think about what Nehemiah keeps reminding the people of. He says, always be ready. And in your preparations, remember, you're not alone. In your preparations, remember that you don't fight for yourself alone, right? There's brothers and sisters that we fight for and in place of and alongside. In your preparations, remember that you don't fight in your strength alone either. God fights for you. We need each other. And specifically, we need each other to remind us of one simple thing, truth. We need one another to remind us of truth. First Peter Chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 is a reminder of this. He says there, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Be watchful. Be sober-minded. Why? Because the enemy is right there. This is the same way as it was for Nehemiah. He was telling the people, be watchful. The enemy is just right there. The battle that we engage in is not against our fellow man. And we need to remember that in this day and age when so many things are seeming to try to charge us against one another. The battle we engage in is real, but it's not fought with a sword It's not fought with a spear. It's not fought with a bow. And it's not fought with money. It's not fought with power. It's not fought with the biggest platform. It's not fought with the loudest voice. The battle we're in is fought with truth. It's fought with the word of God. The sword of the spirit. That's the weapon that we take into battle. 
It's how we also resist the enemy, right? It was both an offensive and a defensive weapon. For Nehemiah and the people, he didn't tell them, get your sword and go into battle. He said, go into, get your sword and be ready in case they come to you. The word of God, the sword of the spirit, truth. That's how the battle is fought. But ultimately, that's how the battle is won. Do you have a handle on it? Do you correctly yield Wield, I should say. Do you correctly wield the sword of the Spirit? Or are you content to just pick up the Bible when you need something from God? Are you familiar with it? With the sword of the Spirit? Or are you satisfied with just letting your Sunday school teacher, your Awana leader, or a pastor get it all on the plate for you? There's a time for those things. Absolutely. But are you digging in yourself? Are you familiar with it? Are you becoming shaped by it? If this is our weapon, and if it's our defense, and it's the one given to us by God, don't you think we ought to be more and more familiar with it? And you know, if you've studied the Bible much at all, you know that something incredible happens when you start to do that. When you start to study the word and meditate on it and implement it in your life more and more, the more you have a desire and a hunger for it. This is, this is the grace of God in our lives that he gives to us. And the question for us to just think through and not to shame, but just to evaluate our own heart is, is this, how can we know the word of God better if we don't pick it up? If we don't read it, if we don't study it, the simple and obvious truth is that if you're not familiar with the sword of the spirit that God's given you, when the battle comes, you are going to be unprepared. And Nehemiah says to his people, get ready, be prepared. God doesn't want us to be unprepared. Neither do Pastors of this church, neither do your Sunday school teachers, neither, neither do your brothers and sisters sitting next to you. No one wants to be unprepared for the battle. And yet, too many times, I think we are. Remember that preparation needs to take place. But if you prepare after the conflict is already at hand, you're a little late, right? Prepare beforehand. So, Nehemiah, Rod, says... Be prepared. Get ready with the sword in one hand and the trowel in the other. Do the work. Get ready for the work that God has called you to do. And while you're doing it, and even before you do it, be prepared with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Be familiar with it. Prepare, plan, and pray that God would give you success and strength and unity. But don't forget to read the Word. Don't forget to be familiar with it. Study it regularly and as often as you can, study it together with brothers and sisters. Participate in the work that God is calling you to do and don't be discouraged. Remember, the Lord is great and awesome. Depend on God because he fights for his people. In studying the word of truth, you're going to discover that God fights for his people because he loves them. He fights for his people because he's made promises to them that he's always going to keep and because he's purchased them, 
with the very blood of Christ, his beloved son. The gospel says that in Christ, the gap between sinners and a holy God has been bridged. It's been bridged by Jesus, Son of God. He is, in fact, the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way that you get to the Father in heaven. And so today you're hearing the call to repent of your sin. Because that sin separates you from a holy God. Today you're hearing the call to trust in the finished, redeeming, and final work of Christ. And believe God. Amazingly, God counts this kind of faith as righteousness. This is what he says in Romans chapter 4. He says, even for us, for our sake, he counts that kind of faith as righteousness. Romans 4, 24 and 25. Let me close with these verses. He says there, it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Do you believe God unto salvation? You can today. Let's pray. Lord, uh, even the tiniest seed of faith is one that you plant. It's one that you water and you grow. And so, Lord, I pray that you're, you're planting that seed in hearts today. And I pray accordingly that the soil of that heart would be the good soil. The soil that's free of the thorns and the packed earth and the rocky soil. And it's free from all the predators that would come and steal it away. But instead it'd be proper soil. That the seed of the gospel as we've heard it today is saving faith because of Christ and his work. That that message falls on heart soil that is good and it takes deep root. And that the people here and the people of God all over would cultivate that and water it and fight for one another in these things, Lord. I pray that more and more we would see this happen in our community and in our church family. Lord, we see it happen even already. And I give you thanks and praise for all of the times that I see brothers and sisters fighting for one another, correcting one another gently and in love, but caring for each other in that way and with meeting needs physical and spiritual. Lord, and so for our sake, you count faith as righteousness for those who believe. And and I pray that many might as a result of what you're teaching us, Lord, as a result of this sword of the Spirit, this truth that we find in your word. Our culture more and more says that this is not truth, that that it is old and out of date and irrelevant and nothing could be further from the truth uh, because your word is truth. And so we pray as Jesus did, Lord, that you would sanctify us in this. Use your word to sanctify your people and to save. In your name we pray.